So we're going to get straight down to business again. We're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to open up our hearts. We're going to make an opportunity for God to do something lovely in our lives. And so if you've got a Bible with you, now is the moment to whip it out and crack it open. If you don't have a Bible, then please download one. Just go on the app store and you can find one for free. Uh, We're in the book of Joshua. This is the third week in the book of Joshua now. And so we're at Joshua chapter four. Joshua chapter four is where we're going to be. And so just to give you a bit of background to remind you where we have been so far, the people of God under the leadership of Joshua have um, got to the point where they're just about to cross over into the promised land. And so the priests have, uh, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is like this wooden box on wooden poles that symbolizes God's presence. Uh, They have gone, first of all, they've stepped into the water and the water is immediately dried up and and kind of piled up further upstream. And so the priests are now standing in the middle of the river and the people of God are now walking past them, filing past them tribe by tribe and setting foot on the other side. So Joshua chapter four, verse one. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do those stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That's God's word to us. That is the text that we're going to be looking at today. Now, like many of you, probably, I didn't grow up as a Christian. And so I didn't learn songs when I was a kid about Father Abraham and his many sons. And I, I wasn't weaned on veggie tales or whatever the uh, 1980s equivalent of VeggieTales was. And so I remember when I first um, became a Christian as I was nearing adulthood, 
I mean, some people might say I'm still nearing adulthood, <laughs> but we'll just gloss over that. When I was nearing adulthood, I started to open the Bible. And to be honest, I, w- I just remember being so surprised because what I was expecting was just a book of heroes, you know, a book of spiritually, I can't speak, spiritually bulletproof people, people who kind of hovered about six inches above the ground because they were so holy and so pure and so godly. But actually what I discovered was, and I remember being so surprised, oh my goodness, not only are those often not the kind of people in the Bible, but actually lots of these people, far from being good examples to me, it felt like the Bible was putting these people into my path because they were bad examples. It was like the Bible was trying to say to me, listen, whatever you do, don't do what he did. Or you see what she did there, you know, look what a mess arose from the decisions that she made there. And and so there are so many people in the Bible where I, I honestly think God intends for us to look at them and say, oh my goodness, I don't want to be anything like that. But Joshua isn't one of them. Joshua, and this moment in particular, is supposed to be a moment where we look at him and, in fact, all of the people of God in this moment, and we say, I want to be like them. Like we're supposed to celebrate this moment and a whole bunch of the things that go on in this moment, we're supposed to try to replicate and emulate. And in fact, what I can see in this passage in particular, I think I can see four disciplines, four habits that are kind of forged into them here that you see clearly God intends for these things to be disciplines that they continue for the rest of their lives. This is a disciplined people. This is a a people who are being carefully obedient. They're being conscientiously faithful. They're really trying hard to follow what God is asking of them. And therefore, they've never been more effective. You know, the people of God, uh, the previous generation, they, they got so far, but they just didn't get far enough. Because they weren't faithful enough. They didn't have these disciplines in place. And so I think I can see four of them. The first one is this, the discipline of obedience. Now, the truth is that probably next week is going to be majorly about obedience. So I only really want to touch on it here, but I can't avoid speaking about it altogether because really the whole structure of this passage is telling us, it's kind of screaming at us that one of the key things we need to learn is how very obedient these people are. And so in verse one, the Lord gives the instruction about these stones to be picked up. And then in verse four, it says, so Joshua. And then in verse eight, so the Israelites. And then in verse 10, now the priests. You see, everyone is just following exactly what God is asking them to do until everything the Lord had commanded was done. They just did it. Whatever it was that God asked of them, they did it. And not only did they do it, they did it exactly when God asked them to do it. My Grandfather was one of the military officers who was responsible for the planning of D-Day, the D-Day landings in Normandy, 1944. And of course, he never talked about it because that generation never did. But 
uh, what I imagine in my mind, I don't know whether this is really what it was like, was like a, a massive table or a series of massive tables covered in enormous maps. And I, could, I just picture them having these little models of battalions and groups and regiments and individuals just spread all over this massive table. And they're moving the pieces around uh, exactly according to the plan that was made for them. And every detail being scheduled, a plan for every person. Like they needed everyone. Everyone had a value and a purpose uh, and um, sort of an, an, an immense importance to the wider operation. And of course, the point is that exactly the same is true today. You know, Jesus said, my father is always at work. Jesus and, and our father in heaven are at work right now. And, and there's a plan for every person. There's a plan for everyone. You know, and, and his desire is that his kingdom would come. And so therefore he's got us all arranged and, and he wants to move you to there and her to there and him to there. And, and it's like everything is planned out. Everything has a strategy. Carol Wimber. I think I talked about this like it would be months ago now, but in her book, uh, that she wrote years ago about her life with John Wimber. They both founded our vineyard movement. She, she just recently brought it up to date and she wrote a new forward. And in it, she said, we are not like tiles. You know, like tiles are interchangeable. If one doesn't work out, you just take that one out and you put another one in its place and nobody notices. She says, we're much more like jigsaw pieces, each one uniquely called, each one uniquely gifted. And every single person needs to be in their place. And if that's true, of course, the two questions that are very important for us today are, number one, what is it that God is asking you to do? And number two, are you doing it? Let me just ask those two questions again. What is it that God is asking you to do? And are you doing it? The discipline of obedience. The second discipline is the discipline of remembering. So Joshua has these 12 stones and uh, he has them gathered up from the middle of the Jordan and then they go and they lay them as a kind of a cairn on the banks of the other far bank of the, the Jordan. And clearly the this is like the main point because it's like repeated three times. You know, the Lord told Joshua about the stones and then Joshua told the people about the stones and then the people got the stones. And, and so it's like, this is really important. What is the point of making it so clear that the stones have some kind of uh, uh, meaning for us? What is the meaning of the stones? And the meaning is this, God didn't want them to ever forget this moment, this day. He wanted them to be disciplined in remembering in every generation this day. This was a day when the Lord came through for them. This was a day when their hearts burned with faith. This was a day when uh, they saw with their own eyes what God's power was capable of. This was a day when they stepped into the purposes of God and everyone played their part. He didn't want them to ever forget it. In fact, he wanted these stones to, to make sure that they always remembered. The Bible uses the word remember over 200 times. And it, you know how we use the word remember to kind of mean like, oh, I, I think I remember having fish one day last month. 
Interestingly, the Bible never uses the word remember like that, a kind of a reminiscence or a kind of hazy um, recollection. Whenever the Bible talks about remembering, it's like it's a powerful way of bringing truth from the past right into the present so that something changes. You know, so, so often it talks about it in terms of God remembering. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Noah. God remembered Rachel. God remembered his covenant with his people and suddenly something changes. Same thing with the people. You know, it says, um, God, uh, God says, remember the day you stood before the Lord or remember my commandments, or remember what the Lord did to Pharaoh, or remember when you were slaves in Egypt. The whole point is, it's like something is going to shift today if you remember what God did in the past, or what God said in the past. If you were to take a little cardboard heart like this one, and you were to kind of fold it in half maybe to get it through the neck of a bottle and you were to put a cork in the end and then you were to carry that heart in a bottle down to the beach and just gently lay the bottle in the waves. Then it would kind of like bob up and down a little bit and perhaps just drift a wee bit backwards and forwards for, for, for a little bit of time. But then eventually the tide would go out and it would carry out this heart in a bottle and it then suddenly it's subject to much bigger waves and the currents and and uh, the swell and, and actually you know you couldn't be completely guaranteed that you'd ever see this heart again but eventually maybe it would be dragged for miles maybe hundreds or thousands of miles to another place an alien place a foreign place and then it would kind of pop up somewhere for a while and then and then the waves would carry it back again and it would be carried somewhere else and it just the tides just carrying it in seemingly random places until eventually you wouldn't see the heart anymore but if you were to take that heart in a bottle and you were to strap a giant anchor to the bottle then that heart is not moving anywhere. And the point is, remembering is a way of anchoring your soul. It's a way of saying, I'm going to make sure that I am unmoved, even though the tide might come in and out, even though sometimes it feels like the waves are thrashing me around. I'm going to remind myself, what has God done for me? in the past? What has God said to me in the past? And I'm going to anchor myself to those things. And therefore, I will not be moved. The discipline of remembering is something that God wanted the Israelites to do for future generations. Number three, the discipline of legacy. I remember hearing a sermon by the uh, sociologist, American sociologist, Tony Campolo. And in it, he talked about this survey that had been done amongst elderly people. In fact, I think it was 50 people over the age of 95, which might have taken a little while to find. <laughs> anyway, the big question was this, what would you do differently if you had your time again? I wonder what you think they said. Actually, they said lots of different things, but there were three things that came up regularly in their answers. One of them was, I would reflect more. Interesting, eh? 
The second one was, I would risk more. But the third one that came up most often of all was, I would do more things that lived on after I'm gone. Of course, the point is that that none of us ever get to the end of our lives and think, oh, if only I'd have spent more time at the office. Very few people think, if only I'd have spent more time on the golf course, although I recognize that some people may do. Everyone gets to the end of their lives and wonders, did I make a difference? Like to somebody's life, have I left something behind? Something that lives on for future generations? It's the question of legacy. God wants us to leave a legacy in the lives of others. And that's what he wanted for these people. That's what the stones were all about. Make sure that something lasts. And so verse six, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Verse 22, tell the is. Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you. This building of a can was a way of uh, leaving a legacy, leaving a mark for future generations. It's such a shame, isn't it, that in our day, the whole of society isn't really structured to help us to think about these things. You know, like the, what's the, the, the uh, slogan of Nike? Just do it. What's the slogan of Burger King? Just have it your way. You know, whatever the Amazon man is delivering today is what you thought of having like last night. It's also instant and it's also consumeristic. It's also much about me. What if we were to think much more about what we were leaving for future generations. You, you know, like, let's not, let's not waste our lives on things that just don't matter. Let's none of us get to the end of our lives and think, if only I'd have spent more time investing in the lives of people. Let's make sure that we're not consumers in life. Let's make sure that we're investors. It's the discipline of legacy. And the last thing, and it's very brief, I'll just finish with this, is it's the discipline of staying alert. I have found this quite shocking, this passage, because up until now, it's been very positive. You know, like God said to them, I want you to, you know, I'm, I'm promising you a land and, 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 and every, everywhere you set your feet, I'm going to give you. And so they've been like, yeah, come on, we're going to do this. And so they've sent the priests in and, and uh, you know, the, the water's all, uh, dried up and, and so they've all gone through and they've all set their feet into the promised land, which is a huge moment, just that like a, we're taking this ground and all of that. And it's, it's, you know, you can imagine them saying, well, hasn't it just been such a lovely day? I mean, we've all had a super time. Uh, I may have watched too much Downton Abbey recently, <laughs> but you know, it's like, oh, isn't this lovely? And then you get to verse 12. And it says, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. To be honest, I'd completely forgotten. But of course, now it's right here that every step that they take 
into their inheritance is a declaration of war. Every, every place where they set their feet, every, every part of this land that they want to kind of lay hold of is going to be contested. And when I was reading the commentaries about this passage, they were saying, it's really strange, isn't it, that the enemy, the Canaanites, they don't come to the banks of the river and just tell them to go away, you know, or, or at least meet them just there on the banks of the Jordan so that they can have a, a good old punch up. But of course, that isn't surprising at all because no enemy does that. The enemy comes at night or when you're not prepared or when you least expect it. And that's why the people of God in this moment, they go over prepared, they go over alert, they go over ready for, for the war. This isn't, you know, let's all go and have a nice time on the Isle of Wight. This is, we are declaring war on our enemy and we will take hold of our inheritance. Let me just finish with this. Friends, Let's be alert. Let's be prepared. But don't be afraid. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. There's no need to be afraid. Just be alert. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we do want to receive everything that you want to give us. We do want to step into the land of promises. We do want to receive our full inheritance. And so in this moment, wherever we are in the northeast of Scotland or beyond, we just, we, we, we commit ourselves to that end. We will remember what you've done. We will call to mind what you've said and we will obey what it is that you're asking of us. We wanna be effective in your kingdom. We wanna take our place. We want to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. Amen. Amen.